following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. We're speaking with Jill Redwood, who uh, we've just met at the Walk Against Warming in Canberra. G'day Jill, how are you going? It's great, good. Now, uh, you're from East Gippsland, I believe. Yes. Where's that? <laughs> Where's that? <laughs> you sound like an American. <laughs> Where is that? <laughs> it's just south of the border. Um, it's um, that pointy end of Victoria. Out on the east. Uh, yeah, right, right out in the far east. And when you look at the map of Australia, it's um, it's the bit with the most forest, the southeast oh, corner. Yeah, As uh, many people in Canberra will probably know that you know the southeast corner of New South Wales is um, fairly forested too, and East Gippsland's that continuation of the same forest. Yeah, it's up on the Great Divide or on the side of the mountains, sort of, isn't it? Yeah, it encompasses the Great Divide, yeah. Okay. It goes through there, yeah. Yeah, so you've got sort of cold country up the top and not yes. much cold down the bottom. Well, the wonderful thing about East Gippsland is that it goes from the coast right up to the Alps in an unbroken chain of forest. It's oh, one of the few places, probably in Australia, let alone the world, that's got that because um, there's not much development along the coast mm-hmm. as with many areas these days, yeah. Yeah, I guess that area down there is really about halfway between Canberra, uh, Sydney and Melbourne if you go along the coast, so... Yeah, that's right. It gets the least visitors from that, those places. That's why it's so beautiful, I think, because it's still so so far from, um, yeah, those big places that tend to exploit the, uh, the beautiful areas. Yeah, now yeah. I guess like many of uh, Australia's far-flung places with trees, there's, uh, there's been a history of logging down that way. Yes. <laughs> Where would you like me to start on that one? Well, let's briefly just touch on how long ago it's been going. I guess. Well, same as I think it's pretty well the same as New South, um, in that it was all selective logging up until the late sixties, early seventies, when that big Japanese-owned wood chip export mill planted itself at Eden there down on the south coast. Okay, what's selective logging? It's where the old timers used to just go in and take one tree at a time that looked like a good saw log and it would just be used for sawn timber, okay. um, nothing else. Whereas now it's you know 90% wood chips and that's what drives the whole industry. Uh, back then it was just taking a tree out here and there and not touching the rest of the forest. But when the wood chipping industry came on shore... Oh, hang on, just before we get on to that, I yeah. thought that they used selection now. Don't they use group selection or something? Uh, I don't know what they do down your neck of the woods, but it's clear fairly. <laughs> I think they select whole hillsides. <laughs> okay, I think that might be what group selection means. <laughs> yes. and then just clear everything that's living on that. Okay, sorry, you were starting in on the uh, chip mill. Uh, yes, <laughs> the chip mill planted itself there in the late 60s, early 70s and very kindly offered to take all that waste in inverted commas left over from the saw logging. Well, so, so the waste, well, that's like the little triangular bits that are left over in the sawdust and stuff, I imagine. Uh, well, that's what they'd like to have people believe, but it's actually the, mm, it's about, let's say, six out of seven logs goes to wood chips. Yeah. So it's an lo- awful lot of uh, the ratio. What would normally be left to grow on or, you know, just stand as habitat and, you know, the tree ferns and the understory and all the normal parts of the forest that aren't good for saw and timber used to be left there and that would, you know, be fine. Now they go in and clear fell the lot. It's just absolutely nuking it. It's um, 
clearing it right back to bare earth, and then they're not happy with bulldozing everything that's there and smashing all the tree ferns and killing the wildlife. They actually put a really intense hot burn through it afterwards. They ring it in fire deliberately so it burns in on itself and creates this immense hot convection um, fire that just goes right yeah, up in the middle. It's a real inferno. I guess Canberrans so, might be familiar with that sort of thing from right. the, uh, yes, the bushfires. the same sort of fire. And it just here. absolutely sterilises the life out of the place. Mm. And that's um, all part of the agenda because what they want to do, it's conversion from native forests into single species industrial tree crops that's perfectly suited for the wood chip industry. It's just like what's happening down in Tassie only here, um, East Gippsland and New South Wales don't call it conversion to plantations, they call it regrowth, but it's exactly the same treatment that's going on. Yeah, they have to spend quite a bit of money in New South Wales uh, on something called silver culture to get that effect because they don't clear fell as much. Oh, yeah. I see, yes. <laughs> and then after 20 or 30 years when the trees are starting to come back and you start to get a little bit of diversity creeping in again into the understory, that's when they go in and do this thing called thinnings because the trees are really nice and white and young and uniform and the wood chippers love it. It's high quality logs and that's what they want over in the mother country to make their nice plastic ba uh, paper bags and papers with. But this old growth stuff really, it doesn't make much in the way of wood chips because it's usually, you know, got sap pockets and stained and it's old and it's got knots. And But what they're clearing that for isn't for the wood, it's actually to get the real estate that, that old growth forest sits on and turn it into a wood chip farm with Japanese pulp mills. So that's what's going on. <laughs> and it's still going on now even though there's huge amount of public awareness on climate change and the need for our forests to actually absorb carbon and become the climate moderators and the temperature moderators and the water producers. Um, sort of like the ancient air conditioner I suppose the forests are. Well doesn't, uh, doesn't clearing the forest actually make more trees? Uh, yes, that's what I've heard the logging industry say actually, but I can't quite see how that could happen. It's, they say if you, if you knock down a forest and burn everything and all that, all that carbon goes up in the air, wood chip it, paper lasts maybe, you know, a year or two. Um, a little bit goes for timber, I think there's about 2% of forests now that, of, of the total forest biomass, about 2% ends up as sawn timber, which is what's justifying the whole industry. Um, they say that what grows back is soaking up carbon, but it would take probably a thousand years to absorb the carbon that it's lost with the clear felling originally, because not only does it destroy everything above ground, there's also an awful lot of carbon that's lost below ground that nobody ever puts into the equation. So, yeah, uh, I think they'll find that a bit of a hard one to sell to the public, even the silly ones. <laughs> yes. Yes, hopefully so, hopefully so. Mm. Mm. Now, are there many jobs in the logging industry in Eskipsland? And well, alternatively, is there much tourism there? Yes. Which is always, of course, put up as the alternative job source. There is. Um, there's, there's quite a few industries actually in Eskipsland. Um, logging is just a very small part of it. It employs about 2% of the people, um, and that's ABS figures. It's not just greeny, you know, greenies pulling figures out of the air. Uh, even in Orbos that sets itself up to be Victoria's premier timber town, if you drive past that town, um, it's about 7% that were in the logging industry and that was about 10 years ago since then. Um, there's been about a 43% cutback because 
they didn't count the trees properly um, and there just isn't the trees there that they first thought so they had to actually cut back on the um, the saw logs that were coming out of it. Uh, the logging is still pretty high because the chips are coming out at the same rate but they're not getting as many saw logs. So there's not so many sawmills anymore. Most of the jobs are over in Japan. That's where it is in those pulp and paper factories and the truck drivers that take the logs up to the Eden export mill. But when you compare that with the tourism industry, um, logging industry is worth about 11 million. It sounds like a lot, but hey, let's compare that with tourism industry and that's about 300 million. So that just shows you where the money is. And that's a growing industry and it's growing worldwide, especially ecotourism. Everyone wants to see the old growth forest because that's just something that we have that very few other countries in the world have anymore. So it's really unique. But what are we doing? Ripping it down as fast as we can, <laughs> sending it out horizontal on the back of trucks, chained down off to the chip mill for 11 cents a tonne too. Um, we did an FOI a while back and got the price that they were selling it to the chip mill for and it was as low as 11 cents a tonne, which might not mean much to people, but uh, I think, you know, a family, mum and dad, to go out and buy a licence to go and get their own wood, firewood from the forest cost them about $10 a tonne. Japanese are getting it for 11 cents a tonne, which is about a whole truckload for the price of a loaf of bread. And you have to ask why our governments are so subservient to the export chip industry. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it's a mighty big loaf of bread. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm. Well, our, um, yeah, there's been a, a response to this logging. Uh, uh, I guess the, the original sort of one that I heard of many years ago was the Gulungook campaign around the Gulungook River down south of East Gippsland, I think. Yes, yes, it's. Um south of Erinundra National Park, yeah, sort of smack bang in the middle of East Gippsland actually, in the heart of the forests there. Yeah. yeah. So what's happening nowadays? So well, there's still blockades happening? No, that was, I think, Australia's longest running forest blockade, 24 hours a day, for five years it went. Uh, just amazing um, stamina of the blockaders, and mm. hundreds of people arrested, thousands of dollars of fines, um, and in the end, the government just, well, the, the department actually dug their heels in and thought, we'll teach these greenies a lesson. They got something like three crews in there. Uh, three logging crews? Three logging crews to just, yeah, sorry, to rip the heart out of it as quickly as possible. They put exclusion zones in. They had every police, every second police from the state stationed there. They had helicopters, they had sniffer dogs, they had infrared detectors. It cost them millions to oversee logging of three coops. To, to knock the heart out of these um, forests, hoping that that would um, destroy the spirit of the, of the people that wanted to save it, and it didn't. And it just got them such bad publicity, not only did it cost them millions of taxpayers money to get something like $100,000 of royalties out of there for the logs, <laughs> but there was a bunch of 40 thugs, logging industry thugs, vigilantes that went in one night, midnight, and bashed up the camp, smashed up everything, thousands of dollars of things, cars, you know, motorbikes, camera equipment, camping equipment, etc. And really mashed up. They only, could only find one camper there, the others took off and heard them coming. That got really good press. Um, uh, well, good press, bad press for the government. But a lot of press. A lot of press for us and the forests, and it made the logging industry look really bad. 
Um, it's, it's a shame when it has to come to that, but um, that's when the government backed off and they held an inquiry into it, which was good because that put a moratorium on the place while they had this inquiry. And now it is protected. That was um, announced at our last state election in November last year, I think it was, October, November last year. Mm. So Goolungook is going to be protected, um, but meanwhile they're logging everything else. So yeah, there's still still a little bit more to do down yes, there. Yes, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, well, thank you for your time. Do you want to say anything else you'd like to add before we wind up? Just that I think um, yeah, there's a lot of talk on climate change, and the forests really are the only thing that's going to save us. I think we've got to start madly reforesting and restoring what we've got, whether it's regrowth or clear paddocks. It's the only way that we can absorb this carbon that's in the atmosphere now. It doesn't matter, you know, we might cut back 20%, 30%, 50% by 2050. Population increase is going to negate that totally. What we've got to do is put the forests back. Um, it's interesting to note that years ago there was 8 billion hectares of forest on the planet before we started, you know, becoming agricultural and knocking down forests and growing cows and sheep. Now we've got 1.7 billion left. And that's like a person trying to operate on a quarter of their lung capacity. And that's what the planet's trying to do. That's why trees and forests are so important. Mm. Well, thank you very much, Jill Redwood. That's my pleasure. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and Radio Behind the Lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A dot org dot A-U or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new appropriate economy. Thanks.